Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, the loons mean it's time for some dark poutine. Hi, I'm Mike Brown, creator and host with me this week, as per Matthew. Are those loons? They are loons at the beginning, yeah. Cool. Did, were you unaware of that? I didn't know what they were. They're some, yeah, no, they're owls. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who is the co-host next week? It's Matthew. <laughs> Matthew. Oh, yeah. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Just like that. Just like it. On April 19, 2018, in the village of Victoria Gracia, a community close to Pacalpa in Peru's central Amazon region, a man got off his motorcycle and walked toward the home of Olivia Arevala Lomas, an 81-year-old shaman and respected elder in her indigenous community. The man was irate over a perceived debt owed to him by the woman's son. After firing a warning shot that drew a crowd of neighbors, the elderly healer came out of her house. After a bit of yelling back and forth, in broad daylight, the man gunned the woman down with two shots from his pistol, killing her. The man later identified as Sebastian Paul Woodruff, a 41-year-old British Columbian in Peru as an ayahuasca researcher, was pursued by villagers who then publicly lynched him. A cell phone recorded video of his killing, and that video was later posted on Facebook. Woodruff's body was buried in a shallow grave. Two Peruvian men were later ordered arrested for his slaying. What led this man, known to his friends as a gentle, helpful soul, to such a brutal crime? This is Dark Poutine, episode 179, Tragedy in the Amazon, the Ayahuasca Murders.
The roots of shamanism and the use of naturally occurring plants in psychedelic medicine date back many millennia. According to Umit Sayan's article, the consumption of psychoactive plants in ancient global and Anatolian cultures during religious rituals for the University of Istanbul, quote, Many ancient cultures used some kind of psychoactive plants during some of their religious rites since Neolithic ages. He also states that, quote, most of the mythological figures and characters that exist in tribal religions in ancient religions and also in the institutionalized modern religions, such as demons, angels, Satan, semi-human animals, gods, goddesses, spirits, ghosts, and many others, originate from the illusions and hallucinations of ritual people in psychedelic religious rites who had used psychoactive plants during the rituals and who had been, quote, very high on psychedelic plants, end quote. Some have cited hallucinogenics as the reason for humanity's sudden rise in intellectual capacity in prehistoric, in prehistoric times. In his book, Food of the Gods, American Mystic and Ethnobotanist, Terence McKenna wrote his theory of the stoned ape. The theory essentially claims that the spiritual and mental awakening caused by the random addition of magic mushrooms, psilocybe cubensis, to the diet of our ancestors Homo erectus around 100,000 BCE awakened the species and led to the evolution of today's thinking and to humans as we know them, Homo sapiens. You said Homo erectus. I did say Homo erectus. <laughs> Terence McKenna, you've wheeled him out. I did wheel out <clears throat> Terence McKenna. I l <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. I love reading McKenna because it's kind of fun fiction. Right. It's imaginative, but it's cool because he's doing the search for meaning, right? Yep. And he uses metaphors, but I, th I think the problem is he didn't think they're metaphors. Yep. And um, actually a few episodes ago when I said one of our callers, you know how I make up jobs? Yes. When I said it, uh, that she's like an astrological philosopher. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And I talked all shit. Mm -hmm. I was essentially paraphrasing McKenna, right? Well, there you go. Um and like my made-up jobs, McKenna, it's kind of bullshit. And so you, you think the whole idea of the stoned ape is bullshit? Prob I mean, there probably was a stoned ape, but you there's know, probably a few. Of McKenna them. talks about like mushrooms being the megaphones of aliens, right? Mm -hmm. I sell cannabis, but he promoted taking copious amounts of drugs, right? Yeah. And he once confessed when a 16-year marriage sort of ended that all his psychedelic insights, he said, had done nothing to mitigate or ward off the ordinary vicissitudes of life. Yeah. And I think that has that's actually very poignant for this story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can, frankly, you know, this expression, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring, ignoring reality. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I live that daily. Yeah. And McKenna was dead by the age of 53, by the way. Oh, gosh. I'll be 52 in August, so yeah. I'm, I'm a little worried. <laughs> yeah. Ancient peoples from different regions all around the globe rely on a variety of psychoactive plants used by indigenous shaman in their religious rites. Of note among many other plants in North America, as well as the aforementioned magic mushrooms and, of course, cannabis, there is also the peyote cactus containing the drug mescaline that grows in the southwestern United States, Mexico, and into South America. Subjective effects may include altered thinking processes, an altered sense of time and self-awareness, and closed and open-eye visual phenomena. 
in other words, hallucinations. In the 19th and 20th centuries, researchers wanting to learn more about these drugs and expand their own consciousness began to experiment themselves. Author Aldous Huxley described his experiences with mescaline in his writings and specifically in his book, The Doors of Perception and Heaven and Hell. He wrote, I took my mescaline pill at 11. I spent several minutes, or was it several centuries, not merely gazing at those bamboo legs, but actually being them, or rather being myself in them, or to be still more accurate, for I was not involved in the case, nor in a certain sense were they, being my not-self in the not-self which was the chair." End quote. Referring to his trip as the opening of a portal to another dimension, Huxley described intense self-transforming amorphous shapes as like animated stained glass illuminated from light coming through the eyelids. But it was the effects on consciousness that were the most profound to the author. He also wrote, quote, The man who comes back through the door in the wall will never be quite the same as the man who went out. He will be wiser but less sure, happier but less self-satisfied, humbler in acknowledging his ignorance, yet better equipped to understand the relationship of words to things, of systematic reasoning to the unfathomable mystery which it tries forever vainly to comprehend." End quote. Since Huxley and other psychonautic pioneers like the ones we spoke about in Dark Patine Episode 9, Acid Al and Hollywood Hospital, Psychedelics have gone through a sort of demonization by governments afraid of the power of the drugs, but are now seeing a resurgence in popularity and interest, as well as a slackening in the laws around them. Many believe that, as we have seen with LSD, that doses of psychedelics can help sufferers of various psychiatric disorders such as depression, or especially that it can facilitate the necessary conversion believed to be required in the successful treatment of alcoholism and other forms of addiction. Ayahuasca, the infamous star of this episode, is one of these. It is a psychoactive reddish-brown vile-smelling brew used by South American shaman as a ceremonial spiritual medicine. It has gained global attention over the past decade or so. Some of the attention is not always good. The drug is derived from the vine native to the Amazonian base of basin called Banisteropsis capi, also known as Jagubi capi or Yaje. It is prepared and boiled in water along with other ingredients. One of those is Psychotria viridis shrubs, which the primary psychoactive ingredient is dimethyltryptyline, or DMT. Many people claim to experience meeting otherworldly entities when taking DMT alone, sometimes referred to as machine elves or clockwork elves only minutes after ingesting the drug. According to Double Blind Magazine, Terence McKenna described his experiences with DMT in a talk that he gave. Quote, I encounter self-transforming elf machines, which are creatures, entities perhaps, although they're not made out of matter, McKenna explained in a recorded interview. They're made out of, as nearly I can figure it out, syntax driving light. By syntax, McKenna really does mean language. They use language which you can see, he continues. It is made out of sound, it is sound, but you see it. And the entire point of the encounter from their perspective is to teach you to do this. Taking ayahuasca is reportedly a profound, often life-altering spiritual experience for the initiate undergoing the ritual when guided by an experienced shaman. 
The suggested preparations for an ayahuasca experience may vary, but according to entheonation.com, quote, the common denominator of the traditional ayahuasca dieta is flavorless food. No salt, sugar, or spices, especially hot peppers, onions, and garlic. No sexual stimulation, no alcohol, and no pork. Along with a list of other foods, the site also recommends avoidance of psychoactive substances like LSD, MDMA, cocaine, and amphetamines, as well as psychiatric drugs like SSRI medications and MAO inhibitors. The site also indicates that preparations for the ceremony are not only food and drug related, but maintenance of spiritual fitness is also strongly suggested. Quote, what you want to do is spend as many days preceding your ceremony engaged in activities like yoga, meditation, mindful practice, prayer, and solitary walks in the woods. Begin spiritually communing with nature before your date night with her. End quote. According to Healthline.com, the following is a summary of what you can expect when participating in a Peruvian ayahuasca ceremony. Quote, ayahuasca ceremonies are usually held at night and last until the effects of the ayahuasca have worn off. After the space is prepared and blessed by the shaman leading the ceremony, ayahuasca is offered to participants, sometimes split into several doses. After consuming the ayahuasca, most people start to feel its effects within 20 to 60 minutes. The effects are dose-dependent, and the trip can last 2 to 6 hours. Those who take ayahuasca can experience symptoms like vomiting, diarrhea, feelings of euphoria, strong visual and auditory hallucinations, mind-altering psychedelic effects, fear, and paranoia. It should be noted that some of the adverse effects, such as vomiting and diarrhea, are considered a normal part of the cleansing experience. People react to ayahuasca differently. Some experience euphoria and feeling of enlightenment, while others go through severe anxiety and panic. It's not uncommon for those taking ayahuasca to experience both positive and negative effects from the brew. The shaman and others who are experienced in ayahuasca offer spiritual guidance to participants throughout the ayahuasca experience and monitor participants for safety. Some retreats have medical staff on hand as well in case of emergencies. These ceremonies are sometimes conducted consecutively with participants consuming ayahuasca a few nights in a row Every time you take ayahuasca, it results in a different experience, end quote. In a scholarly article on advances in pharmacology, scientists Rafael G. Dos Santos, Jose Carlos Busso, and Jamie E. C. Halak write that, although rare, there have been reports of psychotic reactions after ingestion of ayahuasca, quote, Several reports describe subjects with a personal and possibly a family history of psychosis including schizophrenia, schizophreniform disorders, psychotic mania, psychotic depression, non-psychotic mania, or concomitant use of other drugs. However, some cases also describe psychotic episodes in subjects without these previous characteristics. End quote. There are other caveats as well. In an article on psychedelic.support, Carrie Moran, MALPC, writes, quote, the fact is that ayahuasca can be traumatizing for a particular individual, even a well-prepared one. Although more often than not, the difficulties occur with someone who's unprepared, actively misusing drugs, or has a personal or family history of mental illness. Researcher Jessica Nielsen says that people with a self-reported past or current diagnosis of PTSD are somewhat more likely to report ayahuasca being a traumatizing experience in itself. End quote. 
So be aware of the risks before you go booking a trip to Peru to participate in an ayahuasca ceremony. I've had enough of psychedelics for one lifetime myself, so I don't think I'll be joining you. Ayahuasca has become big business and is now accessible even in urban centers in North America. I can drive an hour to get myself an ayahuasca experience. The allure of a trip to the Amazon to experience the culture and participate in an ayahuasca ceremony is still a big draw for spiritual tourists wanting to escape the city. The website Retreat.Guru currently offers seekers 334 ayahuasca retreats globally, one of which is the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru. According to their website, TempleoftheWayOfLight.org, quote, The Temple of the Way of Light is a pioneering healing center in the Peruvian Amazon that has facilitated safe ayahuasca healing retreats for thousands of guests from more than 30 countries since our foundation in March of 2007. Offering a synthesis of ancient Shipibo healing traditions and modern and eastern integrative practices, the temple is proud to be known as the safest and one of the most respected long-established plant-spirit shamanism centers in the Amazon rainforest. Their website also indicates that it was here that shaman Olivia Arevalo worked at the temple near Iquitos from 2009 to 2011. She was one of a group of Shipibo healers that helped to reinvigorate the temple in 2009 after the temple owners worked between 2007 and 2009 with a different Amazonian healing tradition. The site goes on to say, quote, Thanks to Olivia and several other grandmother healers, our work was significantly transformed when we began to work predominantly with female healers. Olivia was the embodiment of the temple's Shipibo name, Bena Kea Bobo a new feminine spirit. She stopped working with us in 2011 due to her age and difficulty walking up to an hour from the river Nane in through the forest to the temple, end quote. It's unclear whether Sebastian Woodruff ever participated in an ayahuasca ceremony at this particular temple or if he even knew of its existence as he didn't begin pursuing an interest in ayahuasca until 2013 when he was 36 years old. Olivia Aravello had retired from the temple two years prior. Sebastian Paul Woodruff was born in Barrie, Ontario in 1976, but his family later moved to B.C. and he spent many years in the Comox Valley on Vancouver Island. According to Men's Journal, quote, From a young age, he was a prankster who took pleasure in getting friends out of their comfort zones, whether by climbing mountains barefoot or getting lost in the woods. He wanted people around him to experience, quote, amazing things, told reporter Matt Bremner recently. He was affable and popular. The kind of guy, she said, who on short walks to the store would repeatedly get stopped by friends. The article continued. He was a dreamer and had always been a bit different, but he, quote, was never afraid to be exactly who he was, said Sebastian's friend Andy Woodsmith. In his 30s, Sebastian participated in a family intervention for a relative with alcohol addiction. That intervention, which led to a life-changing ayahuasca experience in Whistler, B.C. for the relative, led Sebastian to what he thought he should be doing as his life's work, helping people with addictions and other issues through the healing power of ayahuasca. Until that point, according to a CBC article, Sebastian had worked, quote, in construction, tree planting, and on and off as a sea urchin diver, end quote. His pals on the sea urchin boats called him Seabass, a play on his first name. Also in the long-form CBC article, a friend spoke of Sebastian as a deep thinker. Quote, From the minute I met him, I felt like he was lost and trying to find himself, said fellow diver Mike Kelly. He was the kind of guy you'd have a conversation with, and he would disappear, staring off into space, 
You'd ask him a question, and you would have to break him out of his thoughts. He'd just be gone entirely, end quote. Other friends painted a more compassionate picture of Sebastian, stating that the loving single father of a little boy would have given someone the shirt off his back if he thought they'd needed it. In 2013, Sebastian took to Indiegogo, requesting financial assistance in his bid to become a healer himself. He wanted the cash as he had developed the opportunity to study for three months with a Shipibo plant healer at a healing center in Iquitos, Peru. Sebastian wanted to start school in September 2014, beginning the six-year process to become an addictions counselor. Some sources indicate that Sebastian may have had his own struggles with alcohol. Sebastian's Indiegogo page also conflates the story of the creation of the 12-step program with AA founder Bill W.'s later experimentation with psychedelics. Bill was, in fact, many years sober when he came to Canada to participate in the LSD trials, which he felt, controversially within the fellowship, would expand his spiritual connection. Sebastian was deeply interested in plants and their potential healing properties. He spent a lot of time not only learning about them, but also in the wilderness, where he harvested local mushrooms and other plants, often with his young son and his dog. Sebastian was passing on his appreciation for nature to his little boy who can be seen, face-blurred for privacy, in some of Sebastian's YouTube videos. In one YouTube video, entitled, Plant Medicine Connection with Nature Calms the Soul, Sebastian can be seen wearing a toque and proudly standing behind a pile of freshly picked mushrooms on his kitchen table. Here's some of the audio from that video. Hello, it's Sebastian. Um, Yeah, I'm here today. I went out mushroom picking. They're still growing. It's crazy. It's November 14th and uh, there's still little ones out there. There's still, there could be another whole other crop again. Um, that's not what I'm going to talk about. Um, yeah, I just, uh, with my, uh, you know, healing the addictions uh, page in my campaign on Indiegogo, I just wanted to share my day and just a little it's it's helpful to know and, and where I want I'm wanting to go with this whole thing is connection to nature and how your connection to nature uh, can heal um, you you can heal yourself just through that so uh, not just those with addiction like anyone if you're having a hard day if you feel stressed out um, it's hard to snap out of it but just go out into the woods and talk it out out there get out there Get out of the town, get out of the house, get out of wherever you are, get out of your headspace and like go get your shoes on and go out into the woods and talk to the plants, talk to the birds, talk to the trees. They're listening. Sebastian's Indiegogo.com page set his fundraising goal at $10,000, which he broke down. 2000 for travel, two flights, meals, and two safe cab rides, plus or minus $200. $6,800 for Shipibo Healing Center. $600 for a local Spanish translator. $600 for PayPal slash Indiegogo portion. Ultimately, he raised only $2,261 of his goal, but he set off anyway for Pucalpa in Peru in his first ayahuasca experience. Sebastian went away with the best of intentions, but somehow, only a few short years later, would become a murderer and would then be murdered himself in turn. And we'll take a break here. And we're back. Uh, What are your thoughts so far 
Matthew. I read a lot in the research here, mm-hmm. and I watched lots of videos, and um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's um, I think there's a little bit of grandiosity and a little bit of narcissism in this guy. Sure, yeah. Um, and you're going to go into you've sort of touched on sort of potential mental health issues that you're right. gonna, you'll probably talk about later. Yep. I just, you know, that sort of, oh, I want another career. Let's raise money for me. Mm-hmm. Right. When he didn't really have a career in the first place. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, he was, there's nothing wrong with searching. Right. But I, I just have a feeling that maybe the motivation behind the searching wasn't true. Oftentimes it's not. Yeah. I, I think a, a lot of times people get into something for their own selfish ends. But they don't know it's selfish, right? Mm-hmm. Because your mind is muddled. Right. Right. And you So th- you, you you are even lying to yourself by saying, I'm getting into this yeah. to help people when really all you really want to do probably is go get stoned in the jungle. Mike, I've seen like I know this I know this character. I've seen him I've seen him a bunch of times. I was him. In real I, life. I was right? essentially that character when right. I was in my early twenties. Yeah. And you know Physician, heal thyself. Mm-hmm. He has his own problems. Yep. You, you can't help other, you know, put the oxygen mask on before you're helping another passenger. That's right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's. Pull I've, the baby's rip cord before uh, yeah, you're on. I think, kind of I think we're going to see that, you know, he probably wasn't in a state to be helping anyone. Yeah. He yeah. needed a lot of help himself for yeah. sure. Yeah. Between his education and trips to Peru, Sebastian needed to earn some money. So he returned to his random jobs in construction, tree planting, and as a sea urchin diver. However, after several journeys back and forth, Sebastian's nature began to change and he started feeling down. His mood darkened at the thought of leaving Peru every time he had to go back to Canada. In 2017, he began to express concern that things were not going to plan. His dad, Gary, who'd retired after years in the Canadian Air Force, suggested that Sebastian get some professional help for his depression. His grip on reality seemed to be slipping. It is unproven whether his mental state might have been caused by his use of ayahuasca, but Sebastian, by this time, had participated in numerous ayahuasca ceremonies. The CBC article, Descent into Darkness, indicates that the summer of 2017 is really when things began to go sideways for Sebastian Woodruff. He was asking around in Peru about acquiring a gun. He claimed he'd been ripped off numerous times in Lima, and that his wallet and passport had recently been stolen. After a brief return to Canada, Sebastian went back to Peru in December of 2017. It was then that he sought out the help of a well-known shamanic healer, Olivia Arevalo, whom he would later murder. The translator told CBC that during their first meeting, Sebastian asked Arevalo whether she was, quote, able to cure him and his family. Arevalo responded that she could if he had faith. Woodruff said he would talk to his family and come back soon, end quote. Witnesses to Sebastian's behavior at the time noted that he was acting bizarrely and seemed obsessed with Olivia Ravallo, demanding her to take ayahuasca with him as he felt it was the only way he could be healed from whatever it was that ailed him. Aravalo refused multiple times, even though Sebastian was extremely persistent, sometimes scarily so, according to witnesses. She did not give in, frustrating him even further. His family back home was worried about him as over Christmas time he went silent on Facebook, his preferred method of communication. His folks asked friends for any word of Sebastian. There was nothing until January 5th, 2018 when he posted, simply, I'm alive. 
In the meantime, Sebastian had continued to have bizarre interactions with the Aravalla family and others in the small village of Victoria Gracia, where Olivia lived. Apparently, Sebastian had paid Olivia's son Julian a large amount of money for ayahuasca ceremonies that Sebastian claims he had never been provided. He was livid. From CBC, quote, According to multiple accounts, Woodruff turned up in the hamlet one night during a healing ceremony wanting to speak to Aravalo's son Julian. Woodruff was reportedly carrying a long club and was initially turned away from the lodge. He tried to sneak back and apparently struck the man guarding the ceremony. Some villagers pursued Woodruff, but other locals intervened to stop him from being seriously hurt and ended up taking him to police. End quote. The police did nothing and didn't even file reports for at least three interactions they'd had with Sebastian Woodruff. Sebastian reluctantly came back to Canada again in mid-January of 2018, and now he was living in an RV, out of money, and his mood was low. On condition of anonymity, a friend of Sebastian's spoke with Matthew Bremner of Men's Journal magazine, quote, He looked after me on many occasions, the person said, but beneath the surface he also had a temper and could be volatile and obsessive, Ayahuasca had changed him, the person seemed sure. He started dieting constantly, not consuming salts or sugars, and lost a lot of weight. I could see how he could get himself into a lot of trouble in Peru and not back down if he felt he was right, the person added, end quote. At that point, Sebastian wasn't sure he'd ever return to Peru. He even tried to sell the Peruvian money he had left over at one point. But only weeks later, he changed his mind again and decided to go back to Peru in spite of the concerns expressed by his family and friends. On March 11, 2018, he posted on Facebook, I am off to jungle to do some soul searching and fix the mind. See you whence I am healed. FML. Sebastian headed back to the jungle in what would be his last visit. He had been trying to buy that gun for some time. Frustrated, he walked into a police station in Pucallpa from Matt Bremner's Men's Journal article, quote, Communicating via Google Translate, Woodruff told an officer that he was going into the jungle and needed protection from animals. Curiously, the officer agreed to the sale, mainly because the gringo was offering such a high price. The man later said in a statement, On April 3rd, Woodruff returned to the police station and paid 3,000 souls, or... $900 for a silver, Brazilian-made Taurus handgun. The acting magistrate in charge of the investigation described the purchase as abnormal, but not illegal. Sebastian then headed back to Victoria Gracia, arriving on April 10. He was looking for Olivia Aravalo Lomas and her son Julian. On April 14, Sebastian's backpack was stolen, even though his passport and cash were in it, the gun was not. He'd presumably left it where he was staying. Again, according to Men's Journal, quote, The day before the murder, according to Olivia Aravalo's daughter, Virginia Vasquez, Woodruff turned up in Victoria Gracia holding a sign written in Spanish that said Julian owed him 14,000 souls, or about $4,000. Vasquez told the local press, quote, My brother would have never borrowed money like that, end quote. The next morning, Sebastian borrowed a red motorcycle from a friend nearby. The friend said that Sebastian had always been pleasant and friendly guy with him and had no qualms about providing the motorcycle for another trip to Victoria Gracia that day. The man said that Sebastian did not appear distressed in any way or give any indication of, of what he was about to do. It took about an hour and a half for Sebastian to get to the village through the muddy road leading through the jungle, arriving in Victoria Gracia at around noon. He drove straight to the home of Olivia Aravalo and her family. 
When he got there, he hopped off his motorcycle screaming for Julian Aravallo to come out. He fired a warning shot. Julian, hearing the shot, reportedly then fled the home, running to a neighbor's house. Around the same time, Olivia Aravallo also came outside through the back door and encountered Sebastian Woodruff at the side of the house as he made his way toward the back. Sebastian and Olivia had words. She yelled at him for firing the pistol. Rather than turn and leave, Sebastian pointed the weapon at Aravallo and fired twice as villagers, attracted by the commotion, watched in horror. Some later reported that Woodruff demanded Olivia perform an Ikaro, a folkloric healing song often sung during ayahuasca ceremonies before he shot her. Sebastian then turned and ran back to his motorcycle to attempt to flee. Olivia's daughter came out and cradled her mother in her arms. From Men's Journal, quote, According to police reports, as Olivia Aravallo lay dying beneath the coconut tree, embraced by a daughter, she said, They're killing me. They're killing me. End quote. After struggling to get the bike started, Sebastian took off with a large group of angry villagers in pursuit. Sebastian lost control and the mob was on him, pulling him from the motorbike. The crowd beat and kicked Sebastian. Some called on others to take him to police, but they were ignored. As Sebastian Woodruff begged for his life, someone was recording video that would later be posted to a local newspaper's Facebook page. The video showed Sebastian crying and sitting in a puddle surrounded by a group of people, including two children. A couple of angry men wrapped a rope around his neck and dragged him across the ground until he went limp. Sebastian Woodruff was dead. He was buried in a shallow grave about three quarters of a kilometer from the murder scene where police found him just days later. In the days after that, police found the suspected murder weapon, a silver-colored Taurus 380 semi-automatic pistol. The gun was wrapped in a plastic bag and had been dumped close to the cemetery where Olivia Aravallo was later buried. Woodroff's dismantled motorcycle was found in pieces scattered about different dump sites. The spent brass cartridges found near Olivia Aravallo's home matched the bullets in her body. They also matched Sebastian's gun. Sebastian's clothes indicated that he had in fact fired a weapon, but his body did not. His family denied that he would ever do such a thing. Most telling were some of the things found among the items in Sebastian's rented room. The more innocuous items were a book, the happiness equation, and a wrestling mask. But there were also some more concerning things, a long hunting knife, sleeping pills, Zopiclone, and two other prescription drugs prescribed by a doctor in Canada. One of them was olanzapine, an antipsychotic drug used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. The other was clonazepam, an anti-anxiety medication. It's unclear if Sebastian had ingested ayahuasca while taking these medications, but had he, the reaction would not have been positive. This is interesting. I've read The Happiness Equation. Yeah. And one of the secrets, I think it was secret number nine or something like that, uh, in the book is to don't take advice, listen to yourself and make your own decisions. Uh-oh. So I find this interesting, a book telling you, giving you advice on not taking advice. Yeah. And probably somebody that might have some narcissistic tendencies would naturally jump onto that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if this guy had listened to friends and family, stay at home with a kid, right? Yeah. Doctors you know, you're taking this medication, don't fuck around with other ones. Right. I mean, the guy probably should have heeded advice Yeah. from other people. Yeah. Right? And, you know, he 
just he ignored that and you know went into this folly <laughs> I mean, yeah it's kind of it's, it's true it's more extreme than a folly but you know what i mean yeah right like i don't think he it's not like he this guy's like some psycho killer no, you know lots not of at people all. there were some not problems there and yeah. it's just all of it's just fucking sad mm -hmm. right yeah from cbc when a person is in a psychotic state you have a false perception of reality you can become quite delusional and your judgment is skewed, said UCLA professor Charles Grob. So this individual may have had misperceived others around him as being a threat to him, whereas in reality they weren't. It was the amplification going on in his own mind triggered by what could have been a destabilizing psychiatric state, end quote. In the weeks after the murders, Canada was warning citizens to stay away from Peru. From theguardian.com, quote, a week after Woodruff's killing, Canada issued an advisory urging travelers to exercise a high degree of caution throughout Peru, and in the case of several specific areas, to avoid non-essential travel completely owing to terrorist and criminal activity. These areas included a swath of the province that this had occurred in. End quote. The murder of Olivia Aravalo Lomas was devastating to her family and community. She was a person of stature. The level of knowledge she carried thanks to multiple decades of shamanic practice was irreplaceable. Quote, her death is an aggression against the entire Shipobo community. She was the living memory of her people, end quote, explained Juan Carlos Ruiz Moleda, coordinator of the Department of Indigenous Communities and Constitutional Litigation of the NGO Institute of Legal Defense. Quote, she was a grandmother who worked with medicinal plants, said Wilder Munoz Diaz. It was very painful for us finding out about her death, he added. According to PeruTelegraph.com, Olivia Arevalo's public work had attracted both positive and negative attention over the years. Quote, Olivia Arevalo was a fierce defender of the cultural rights of the Shipobo Kenobo people and an environmental activist. Like many other indigenous rights activists who try to protect not only the traditions and knowledge of their ethnic group in Peru, but their ancestral lands from oil and gas exploitation, illegal land trafficking, illegal logging, and illegal mining, Aravello as well was repeatedly threatened with violence and even death, end quote. It was thought that perhaps Sebastian was a scapegoat in the killing, that it might have been perpetrated by these other groups with a grudge against Olivia. Yeah, I don't buy that. Um, people were there. People yeah. saw him. Her kids saw him yes right if the nemesis of these oil companies or whatever were doing it they wouldn't have been pointing the finger at some gringo that was there you yep. know what i mean a tourist yep, yep. It, it just doesn't make sense no not at all no ultimately after an investigation peruvian authorities released a statement saying that all the evidence gathered indicated that sebastian woodruff was indeed the person who had murdered olivia aravella lomas the Temple of the Way of Light .com wrote about Olivia in a post in the days after her death. They said, quote, She was one of the most respected and powerful Ananya, a plant medicine healer of the Shipibo tribe. She brought the rich cultural and medicinal legacy of the Shipibo to the temple and was affectionately referred to by many of us as a living ancestor, a record keeper of the Shipibo ways and walking encyclopedia of traditional Shipibo plant medicine. We are blessed and honored to have worked so closely with her, to have experienced her powerful healing abilities, and to have been touched by a heart so full of love and compassion. 
The article continued, Olivia's work as a healer was legendary, both within the Shipibo Nation and then gaining much positive recognition internationally over the last decade. She first became known outside of Peru in 2004 when she briefly appeared in the film Other Worlds, made by John Kunin, and then in 2006 as part of the film also made by John Kunin, the story of Panchin Becca. And we'll post a link to the Panchin Becca short in the show notes for this episode. Olivia was buried on Sunday, April 22, 2018, near Pacalpa, surrounded by her family, friends, and community. People who knew Sebastian couldn't believe that he'd killed anyone. Not the Sebastian they knew, anyway. In an article in the Comox Valley Times, reporter Aaron Halushak spoke to a few people who knew him. I just don't believe that he would do that. It's not in his nature, said Mickey Montgomery, Woodruff's neighbor. You never saw him raise a hand to his dog. As long as I saw Sebastian, I've never seen him do a mean or cruel thing or even talk that way. He was always trying to help. Describing him as spiritual, loving, kind, and polite, Betty who asked that her last name not be used, lived across the road from Woodruff for many years. She says he touched the lives of so many people in the valley, within her neighborhood, and beyond. I remember him willingly helping my very elderly husband so easily, focusing on his needs and doing what would be helpful with such respect and kindness. She recalls watching Woodruff spend countless hours with his son, teaching him about various things in nature. He was a beautiful soul. Part of our grief is that this was all put on tape, on the internet, on television. And his little son is going to have to live with that. In this day and age, it's so cruel. End quote. That is horrible. But, you know, it's, Mike, we've done, and I've listened to lots of shows. And last night I was watching a documentary on Ted Bundy. Yeah. And family and friends and neighbors said kind of same things. Now, this guy's no Ted Bundy, but people can never believe Mm -hmm. when something like this happens that it's a person that they know. Never, yeah, it it seems, unless the person is a complete whack job. Yeah, yeah. In his everyday life. Like, um, if people said, Charles Manson convinced a bunch of people to kill people. People who knew Charles Manson would probably yeah. say, yeah, that sounds like Charlie. Yeah. That sounds like Chuck. But, you know, and this guy, he was, he's not even close to any of those guys. But, you know, we've seen it, we see it so often, right? People, mm-hmm. hey, you know, he could never have done this. Well, he did though. Um, yeah. So it's, and often it's when there's sort of mental health issues, I think, when people really are surprised. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, you know. Because I'd like to think that if I killed somebody, that everyone would say nice things about me. You, one would think. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. If you killed someone, <laughs> someone would say nice things about you? Not, not that I did that, that, but they were shocked. Oh, I would be, yeah, I'd be shocked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would be, unless it was somebody who hurt your doggy or your husband I wouldn't be shocked by that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't kill anybody. I would, well, no, if, if, if it was them, them or, or that other person. Oh, yeah. I'd defend. Right, exactly. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, Not just like, oh, someone randomly farted and Steve threw no, up. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the police officer who'd sold Sebastian Woodruff the pistol later told CBC's Fifth Estate that he felt no responsibility for the murder of Aravalo. He said he had sold the pistol legally and that what Woodruff did with the firearm was Woodruff's responsibility, not his. Arrest warrants were drawn up for four men, 
Fidel Arevalo Mori, Nicholas Mori Guimares, River Gilberto Roja Roja, and Jose Ramirez Rodriguez. They were the men suspected in Sebastian Woodruff's murder. Rewards of 20,000 souls, around $5,000 Canadian, were offered for each. One of the men was mayor of the village at the time of the murders. There's still no word about a trial in that case. Sebastian was not the only Canadian involved in an ayahuasca-related murder. There was one four years prior. Canadian Joshua Andrew Freeman Stevens, 29, allegedly killed his British friend Unias Gomez, 26, during an ayahuasca ceremony in Peru. According to a DailyMail.co.uk article, quote, the Canadian stabbed the ex-Goldman banker to death after seeing a vision of the Briton having an affair with his wife as they drank mind-bending jungle potion in a psychedelic ceremony in Peru. And just like the Daily Mail, to put a spin on things like that. However, according to Stevens in a later interview with CTV News after his return to Canada, he said the killing was in self-defense. The pair had taken a double dose of ayahuasca and the effects had kicked in when Stephen said Gomez came at him with a knife saying, You are Yahweh, you are Yahweh, and it's time to get your demons out, brother. It's time to get your demons out. Stevens, in fear of his life, grabbed a nearby steel pot and hit Gomez with it, jarring the knife from his hand, which he then took from the man. It was then that Stevens stabbed his longtime friend. Stevens was released 24 hours after his arrest. After all this... I'm not sure ayahuasca is for me. And that's it for Dark Patine episode 179, Tragedy in the Amazon, the Ayahuasca Murders. So, thoughts, Matthew Stockton. <laughs> Mike Brown. Yes. Um, all tragic, all horrible. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel bad even though he, I feel bad for the, him even though he did it. I feel bad for her. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think there's sort of a bigger thing behind all of this. Yep. And it's sort of pl- this idea of plastic shamanism. Right. And people trying to pass themselves off as holy people, but who have no genuine connection to the traditions or cultures that they claim to re- represent. So you're wh- not referring to Olivia? No, I think, I think like people like this guy were ch- like try to go there and, uh, hey, I can be a healer. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but the flip side of that I worry about is this sort of tourism yeah. with ayahuasca. And so th- these are, you know, this woman's a real healer, mm-hmm. spiritual, but there's an industry that maybe went, grew around her. Right. And I have to question, you know, a bunch of young gringos, as I'd call them, going down to Peru. And usually it's gringos who go down to Peru and set up the mechanism. Yeah. For these people to work within. Now, granted, there's a lot of poverty and that kind of thing in yeah. this area. So it's a welcome thing for an industry to come in yeah, and utilize their knowledge. However. Hawking your religion, if you will, or your spirituality for mm. tourism. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, maybe you're a purist when it comes to religion and. Well, no, I, you know, I'm. Like, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with searching. Right. There's nothing wrong with spirituality. Both of us are big time searchers. And, and you know, like I'm constantly reading, you know, I read voraciously like Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, Sufi, right? Like mm-hmm. Christianity, Judaism. And, you know, I think of it this way. It's sort of like, you know, when you go into a room, Mike, you can say, turn on the lights, plural, or turn on the lights, singular. Right. Right. 
So what's more important, the light bulb or the illumination? Right. right? It's the illumination. Right. So when the superintendent comes to ch change your light bulb, he doesn't like grab the light bulb and go, oh, this was the bulb of all bulbs. There should be no other bulb, right? Exactly. <laughs> he changes the bulb exactly. for the illumination. And, and I kind of do that. I kind of like my mm -hmm. room, if you will, metaphorically is filled with a bunch of different bulb manufacturers. Me too. Bulbs. Yeah. And that's how I get. And I love the stories, the metaphors, the myths about which, which, which is supposed to inspire an internal journey. Mm -hmm. But I think what's happened here and maybe what I think the problem is in our Western culture, mm -hmm. you know, the problem started when religion started taking these original writings, right. Which were metaphors for an inner journey as dogma, as literal, as historic fact. Mm -hmm. um, so all these rich and interesting myths and metaphors that sprung up from human imagination to try to help guide people through the Mysterium Tremendum became sort of denotative versus connotative of experience. Right. And this is why the pews are empty and why so many young people aren't going to church. Yeah. Is because the religious organizations have become political and social institutions versus spiritual guides. Right. And, but the Mysterium Tremendum remains and the search for meaning remains mm -hmm. and people need it. So, they turned to outside of their culture, right? Their cult outside of their cultural institutions, in the search, and this includes Eastern philosophies, South American shamans, mm -hmm. and drugs, and drugs, yeah. And the problem with drugs, <laughs> it, you know, you, they want drugs for the this discovery of the mystical, right? But it's it, it's a slippery slope. It's it's also a temporary thing. It's, yeah. it's fleeting. It's as fleeting as the effect uh, of the drug. Absolutely. And it's yeah. it's such a shame because I actually believe the Abrahamic re religions at their heart have like great, great myths and stories that if you look at them the right way, right. you know, you, 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 you can find God, if you want to call it that, in your living room. You don't need to beg people for $10,000 to traipse to South America. Right. You want to help people with addictions. Go to the east end of Vancouver, pick somebody up and take them to an NA meeting. Oh, yeah. You don't need, you don't need all this shit, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, search for meaning is like, literally you can do it in your living room. Yeah, right? it's true. <laughs> and it's just so sad that, you know, I think in some ways he fell, fell, fell foul to these bigger things that are in our culture, mm -hmm. right? Now, I mean, some, some people do have um, moving and life altering experiences when they are using psychedelic, that they are able to maintain those things throughout their lives. It's just another key to the door, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm not anti-drug. Right. Right. Like for fuck's sakes, I sell drugs for a living. Yes. But if you have problems with them, I just, I am anti, if you, if you have problems with them, start running towards a different one. It just doesn't work. No, it never worked for me. It doesn't work, Mike. Yeah. And, um, I know. So yeah, it's sad. And, you know, I also feel, you know, I'm kind of like, and just back to like the, all the villagers, like killing the guy mm -hmm. as well. It's like, that's not very spiritual. No. Like, no. you know what I mean? And that just says to me, there's a lot of bullshit amongst all of this because nobody was doing anything right. spiritual. In this it's situation. like the gringos going down there being uh searching for spirituality are also being ripped off from time to time i mean there were stories about this guy you know having his uh money and his passport stolen multiple times well that happened to me many times you know what mike usually i was quite 
fucked up drunk or high at, yeah. a, at a bar or a club. Yeah, there you go. Not saying that's the case, but... Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. I, I guess we should move on to some voicemails now. Voicemails. Yeah, so if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so. Uh, at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. If you're stumped for what to say, a quick story is welcome. Especially if you're connected to one of the episodes that uh, we have done, which is what we're about to hear in this current voicemail. I just cross my legs and bash my ball. Okay, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Hey guys, I just found your podcast recently and I absolutely love it. I had a close contact with a murder when I was 10 years old and have been interested in true crime ever since. So I quickly binged your episodes, but I was left speechless when I listened to episode 116, the murder of Heather Thomas, because this was the murder that I was involved in. I lived in the complex that Heather was abducted from and was one of the last children with Heather prior to her disappearance. We'd been riding our bikes around the complex when I had to run an errand for my parents. And in the five to 10 minutes I was gone, Heather was no longer playing where I left her. It was only a short time later that Heather's brother, followed by her dad, were knocking on my door looking for her. My dad and I began knocking on the doors of the complex, looking for my friend. We got to one door and I remember clear as day the uneasy feeling I felt when there was no answer. As we left the building, I stared back down the hall, absolutely terrified. In the following weeks, we weren't allowed to play alone outside, and you were absolutely right in your episode when you speculated that everyone was on edge. I'd been questioned almost daily by police and consistently told them that there weren't any strangers who came across us. That was until I saw a news report about a green car with gold wheels, and I burst into tears, telling my parents I knew who owned that car. I never knew his name, only as Mr. Man. Because every time we saw him, we would stick our tongues out at him, giggling, and he would reciprocate. He used to play a game with us, chirping his car if we got too close. How many times we played that game, how many times I was near him, his car, his home, alone, it still haunts me 20 years later. I ended up being a key witness in the trial, and even as a 10 and 11-year-old, I was constantly followed by the news media at my home, my school, and definitely at the courthouse to the point that I needed a security escort to leave. But as terrible as it was, I felt like it was worth it to play a part solidifying Shane's conviction. The craziest part of it all, though, was the home with no answer, the one where I was freaked out, turned out to be Shane's home. Sorry that this is so long, but I hope it shows how important it is to be mindful when using the word stranger and instead use an adult not in your family when speaking to children, because to us, he wasn't a stranger. I've since relocated to Newfoundland, where you absolutely must visit, not just Gander, but I can certainly vouch for our love of double-doubles, although it's most often in Tetley Tea. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my story and for being so kind when discussing the crime that took the life of my friend. Catch up with you soon, guys. Well, that was great. Uh, she didn't tell us to go shit in her hat, but I am more than happy with that voicemail. Oh, that was a great voicemail. Yeah, that, that is exactly what I'm hoping for. Uh, when somebody calls to talk about one of our episodes and has been connected to it. I really, really feel uh, validated by people saying we've done a good job uh, talking about great. something. Yeah. And so, it's not stranger danger. It's someone that's not 
not an adult, not in your family. Sometimes it is an adult in your family, though. That's the problem. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. That's a whole other ball of wax. But that's interesting. It's um, God to carry that for so long. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what we do. Um, and yeah. you know, uh, she doesn't sound like she's no. She sounds good, but yeah. I just, I just, I just kind of put my when sure. she was talking, put myself there, and I was like, wow, that would be hard, man. Yep. Uh, especially as a, as a kid, like 10 and 11 years old. I mean, what I went through, I was, I was almost 12 when I went through the thing that I went through and like, those are real formative years. Those are years that inform the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. The things that happen to you, you carry with you into your adulthood. Mm -hmm. You really do because that, that is when you are able to really form solid memories and, but you haven't quite developed your whole philosophy on yeah. the world yet. And those things will inform your philosophy on the world and the people in it. Yeah. So having something like that happen to you early on, in a way, I think, will make you a more cautious adult. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there was only that one voicemail this week, which I'm fine with, because that one was great. Mm. If you want to leave us a voicemail again, you can leave one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. Now on to a patron and donut money donors. Mm-hmm. Drum roll, please. We have three patrons this week. Excellent. First up, we have Carly Godwin from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Carly, thank you. Yes, Carly, thanks. Um, what does Carly do there in Saskabush? She is a personal stylist. A personal stylist? Yeah. So like everything from t- from stem to stern, like clothing, fashion. 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 Yeah. Very specific. Because in Saskatoon, winters are cold. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a difficult job being a personal stylist in minus 50 degree weather. Yeah. What color parka do you wear essentially? Exactly. <laughs> Move. Move. And, <laughs> and, oh, what, what type of yarn was used to knit your toque? <laughs> mohair. Mohair. <laughs> your mohair toque. <laughs> well, thank you, Carly, for styling Thanks, Carly. Saskatoonians. I, I don't know what I... What are what is the name for sa- people who live in Saskatoon? I I don't know. I get. I think it is Saskatoonians or Saskatonians. It would make sense. Nice people. Yeah, nice people. Next up is Linda Welsh, and she's from Mississauga, Ontario. M i s s i s s u g a. Yeah, that's right. Mississauga, Mississippi. M i s s i s s i p p i or i p p i s s i s s i m. That's Mississippi backwards. Mississauga, Mississauga. So, what does Madame Linda Welsh do there in Mississauga? Unterrible. It's why do you call it unterrible? Because people from who are from places other than Ontario, right, uh, resent Ontario. Okay, for its riches and its. Uh, ten, tendency toward thinking it's the only place on in Canada. Canadian culture is only, this is a bigger discussion than the two of us can have in these few moments. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I don't actually mean it's on terrible. I don't really mean that. Well, I call Mississauga Misery Saga. Misery. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. So what does Linda do in Misery Saga? She's not miserable. Oh, good. So she knows that some people call it Misery Saga. Yes. So she's one of these people that gives like free hugs and stuff. Good. Yeah. Is that her job? Yeah. Like free hug? Yeah. Wow. 
So how does she earn money? Do people just like pay pay her way? She has a Patreon. Oh, good. <laughs> Patreon hugs. Maybe I should start giving some free hugs. I don't want COVID though. And that's the thing. Even though they're going down, still that Delta variant out there. Delta felt a guy. What? Delta felt a guy? <laughs> I don't know where that's from. I don't know why I said it. I don't know either. And uh, lastly, from someplace we are unaware of, Sam. Simply Sam. I think Sam might be female because um, Sam, uh, the Patreon said, say hello to her. Okay. So Sam is probably female. Sam I am is from the land of green eggs and ham. Where is that? Where is the land of green eggs and ham? In the sky. In the sky. So is Sam a ghost? Like no, or an no. angel? It's just magic. Magic. Like Harry Potter? Yeah. Oh. But <laughs> JK Rowling is such a piece of garbage though. I know that's not a popular thing for Harry Potter fans to hear, but you know, she's not very very nice. Well, on the one issue. On that one issue, yeah. yeah. That one issue is it's tendon. I know nothing about her. I've haven't read or seen any of the books. Yeah. I know nothing. The only I've news, read all of them. Only news I've ever seen about her is that she has like billions of dollars and she doesn't like transgendered people. Yeah. Those are like literally the two things I know about her. That's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. So well thank you, Sam, uh, for being living in the sky. What does she do up there in the sky? She makes green eggs and ham. Oh, is there a kitchen? A sky kitchen? <laughs> you didn't read Dr. Seuss, did you? I read Dr. Seuss. Of course I did. <laughs> you know they've removed some of the Dr. Seuss books from publication because they are, quote, problematic? Yes. Isn't that weird? Um, it's one of those things. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like, yeah. all of history. Mm-hmm is problematic. It's true. <laughs> like literally all of human history is problematic. It's like my mom tried to get a book for us when we were kids. And the book is called Little Black Sambo. Right. And Little Black Sambo is a black child. Right. And it is the most racist, horrific, horrendous kind of look. Right. At, at, black culture it's not a it's not a positive it does not play well in today's society i could imagine it wouldn't and even in the 70s i should say well so okay that's 40 years ago that book was difficult to find and mom couldn't understand it because she enjoyed that book when she was a kid but i think it informed her informed kids of that generation in an incorrect way mm. about how to look at black culture you know i there's books and things that I liked as a kid. Mm -hmm. And if I go back to them, I look at them and I'm able to go, holy shit. Yeah. Like you forget and then you like read something or see something and you're like, wow, no, we've moved on. Thank God. Yeah. Do you, can you think of any specific examples of that right off the top some, of your head? Some of the sayings in the schoolyard. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. And, yeah. There were some really nasty and, ones. And I didn't even know what, what I was saying. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Yeah. And a fight, a fight. I, I had no idea what I was even saying. Right. Yeah. And that shit just like, I look back and I'm like, oh my God. And a few people can't figure out what we're talking about. Like don't, don't ask don't, us to repeat it because we're not going to. Don't even bother. Um, it, it, and it's just, it's, it's just this, it's this cultural, I don't know, when you're a little kid, like you don't know any better. 
Um, I mean, it wasn't. You just you're just rocking along with what the other people are rocking around you, right? right? And you don't even think of what it is. Like I'm talking when I was a little kid, like seven. Yeah, right? little kid. Um, but you know, and then just sometimes you find stuff like books or, you know, songs or even movies, and you're like, wow, wow. Like even for me, like I'm like, wow, that movie has the word fag in it like a hundred times. Yeah, and it just it's just it's there's there's no sort of uh, counter to somebody saying it's just thrown out liberally. So, so it's like, I can imagine like, you know, I'd watch a really good movie. I, I hate movies that are intentionally woke. I like movies that are just woke, but fucking good. Yeah. And the, this gunpowder, uh, milkshake. I saw you post about that the other day. So good. So for yeah. example, I hate, I hated the, the female, um, Dr. Who. Okay. Yeah. Not because she was female, but because it was all intentionally so like, look, we're woke. Like even the scripts were like that. Yeah. Versus this movie, which is just like cool chicks. Yeah. Doing really well. And like, they're all the stars. And it's like, that's the way it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't, we shouldn't have to pander to going, oh, look, we're woke. We just have to give like, like Hollywood's changing finally, right? Just give mm -hmm. women fucking jobs and like make them heroes in movies. And we're just proving, we're proving that it is, can be a box office success. Right. And all this bullshit, which is bullshit, right? It's it like, always, oh, it will yeah. never sell. Fuck you. It'll never sell. Right. It totally will sell. Like, like the seventies horror movies, like the black guy always got killed first. Well, there was one horror movie Ridiculous. in 1968. Right. That was not like that. And it was unintentionally woke. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. George A. Romero's Night yeah, of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, the protagonist is a black man. Yeah. And he gets killed at the end. Yeah. But it's a horrific thing that he gets killed. Yeah, the hero, yeah, right. the hero dies at the end of the movie. And interestingly, George Romero just said when he was asked, oh, you cast this black guy, which was really, you know, forward thinking and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And he said, well, he was just the best actor. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we want. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and it's finally changing. Like Justin and I actually, like it's often with like women or black actors, like mm -hmm. we actually turn to ourselves occasionally. And when we have like a really good movie and, and you have, you know, people are, you know, the great actors are there and it's not sort of the secondary to the white dude or the, you know, or mm -hmm. secondary to the male. And we're like, we kind of like looking, we're like, finally, right? Mm -hmm. Like finally, like good stuff's coming out because people are just like intentionally trying to change it. Mm -hmm. But I, but you know, like the Doctor Who, it's like all of this, like when it's like, oh, look, we're woke. I think that's just faking it, right? Yeah. As opposed to just give good actors jobs. Yeah. And, and. Cause it really doesn't matter who Dr. Who is. Doesn't matter what color, no, shape, size, no. doesn't matter. None of that but matters. I just didn't, I just didn't like those ones because it was all like pandery. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, she, they should have just made her like super cool. Just right? write good Dr. Who episodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? exactly. Don't write Dr. Who episodes for a female actor. Yeah. Write good Doctor Who episodes and cast the be best person for the job. The one thing that Justin and I have noticed though is, is. Um, gay characters. So they're usually lesbians because we think society can handle like 
two girls kissing on screen. Yeah. More than two boys. Like you don't, you just don't, boys don't cry, for example. You don't, yeah. Or even this, uh, this, uh, what was it? Fear Street 1666, you know, the Fear Street series that just came out. I haven't seen it. Like the two characters. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I know they're the three movies. And we're talking and we're, and, and we're like, oh, this is really interesting. Let's keep watching this because, like, watching it in general, like what movies are doing. Yeah. Because I think when they try to get like, the gay characters in, it's like this weird, like, lesbians are safer than boys because nobody wants to see boys kissing. Right. And we're just shoehorning in what people. Yeah. are expecting to see now but it's good you know and i've actually started watching it so funny there's a lot of like teenage romance high school angsty movies mm -hmm. that are new where they have gay characters and like the tv show the tv show the netflix series atypical yeah um, and i but I, I i even like the cheesy romances why because i never had that when i was a teenager and i'm like mm -hmm. i watch them I'm like oh my god life would have been so much better if i could see these characters on tv yeah um as sort of you know because you take from culture as well right mm -hmm. so anyway yeah it, and, it's and, interesting so movie people make more guys kissing please okay yeah. so not seeing yourself yeah. represented in in film when you were a kid yeah how did that make you feel? Like how you, did you feel more ostracized because, because no. there weren't so any? So when, when, if a gay, like if there was no gay representation, like Mike, when I first heard of like the idea of gay marriage mm -hmm. in the, the early eighties, yeah. I didn't get it. I was like, but that's what straight people do. Okay. Like it was so far away from my imagination and so not seeing gay characters in movies is it was when I was young, it was just sort of a given. Yeah. But the problem was when there was a gay character mm. and they're either like a very stereotyped or they get killed off. Right. Or, you know, lesbians for a long time were like the psycho killers in movies. Right. Like yeah. lesbian, always a psycho killer. Yeah. Right. Gay guys, always. The who, sh who shot Andy Warhol? Gay guys, always, yeah. always the funny guy who's a florist or dying of AIDS. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, or being like evil psycho. Um, and that did worse. Right. So I don't mm. know. I don't How did we get onto this? We just sort of randomly <laughs> went in that direction. And this is the thing that I like about our podcast and the banter uh, toward the end is that we can go in any direction that we want to go. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Sam from Parts oh, Unknown. Hi, Sam. Sorry. Look what you got started, Exactly. Sam. But but that's the thing. Um, I think it's important that we, we talk about this stuff and and people love to hear it. We don't... Uh, it just gives a little bit more... Yeah, yeah. Oomph yeah. to the show, I think. Oomph. Oomph. All right. Uh, as far as donut money goes, we had a donut money donor from Jacksonville, Florida, and her name is Nancy Mead. From Jax. Jacksonville. Okay. I have never been to Jacksonville. Hashtag J-A-X. Jax? Oh, okay. Is that where the, that's what the uh, airport tag is? I don't know. It's probably is. I don't know. I think it's sort of their tourism uh, hashtag jacks jacks just jacks just jacks <laughs> speaking of gay characters just jacks jacks why why is jacks gay characters just jack from will and grace just oh, okay oh, i gotcha yeah yeah oh well which is again so will and grace very interesting right mm -hmm. a show about a gay guy yep you never see anyone 
kissing. No, the, he, yeah, he doesn't really have a like a, a romantic relationship. There's never with a makeout session. Nothing. It's a show about a gay guy. Right. So we've even moved. I mean, that was what twenty years ago. Now we've even moved on from that, right? Yeah. Um, but just Jax, so she's an alligator wrestler. Well, there you go. Oh, so she re- wrestles alligators. Wrestles alligators. Does she do it publicly or is it just is for it, exercise? Is it alligators or crocodiles in Florida? It's alligators. Alligators. Yeah. No, she's, she, she does it professionally. Oh, professionally. So uh, in front of crowds. Yeah, with a mask. Oh, like a Mexican wrestling mask. Yeah, the alligator has a little mask on and they, they stand in the separate corners of the, of the ring. Yeah. Then they go out, they have to shake hands and then they wrestle. Yeah, the fun thing about alligators is little arms. <laughs> They're little, little arms. They're like Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, they are related, but I mean, you know. We're all think of the little, <laughs> the little alligator arms. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she could, she, see, Nancy's got a longer reach, so she could actually box a bit first. Yeah. And to punch the alligator silly before wrestling. I want to see Nancy doing Superfly. Superfly Jimmy Stuka. Remember Superfly? Yeah. 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 That was fun stuff. Well, there you go. I guess that's it for this week. (laughs) Thanks to all our patrons and donut money donors, past and present. Your generosity is much appreciated. It helps keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For one-time donation, you can send us donut money at PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast@gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Don't forget my book, Murder, Madness, and, and Mayhem. Uh, it's available for pre-order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of our website, Please check out darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook or Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. What do you mean we have a website? Yeah, darkpoutine.com. I've never been on it. Darkpoutine.ca works too. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah, there you go. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs>